5. And I just want to look at verses 1 through 3 as we talk about prayer this morning. So Psalm 5, verses 1 through 3. The heading reads, To the choir master, for the flute, a psalm of David. Give ears to my word, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. Father, I want to ask that we would hear your word with diligence, that the preaching this morning would be effectual for your people. May your Holy Spirit help us to understand it. May we love it. May we apply it to our lives. May we not deceive ourselves and merely listen to the word. May we do what it says. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Well, I don't know what 2012 holds for you. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that you will be blessed in amazing ways. But I can also promise you that in 2012, we might as well realize this right up front, you will experience some battles. I don't know what they will be. Maybe they will be marital. Maybe they will be parental battles. Maybe they will be financial battles. Maybe they will be health battles. I could go right on down the list, but rest assured, right up front, uh, you will experience some battles this year. And let me also say that the outcome of the battle rises and falls on prayer. I really mean that. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think I'm being over the top. I don't think that's an exaggeration. The battle rises and falls on prayer. Let me give you just one example from Exodus 17. Uh, the Amalekites are attacking the Israelites. So Joshua goes out into battle. And while Joshua is leading the troops in battle, Moses, along with Aaron and her go up on a mountain so that they can view the battle from up above. And while Moses and Aaron and her are viewing the battle and Joshua is leading uh, the troops down below, Moses, we're told, has his hands lifted up in prayer. And as his hands are lifted up towards the Lord, we're told that the Israelites were winning the battle. The momentum was in the favor of the Israelites. But as he slowly got tired, and if you lift up your hands like this for a while, you do get tired after a while, but as Moses was lifting up his hands, after a while his hands got tired and they got heavier, and after a while they would start to fall down. And then we're told specifically in the text that as they fell down, the momentum shifted in the favor of the Amalekites, and they were overcoming the Israelites. So they had Moses sit down on a rock so he could rest. 
and Aaron came on one side and Hur came on the other side and they held up his hands in prayer so they wouldn't get tired and drop. And as a result, the Israelites won the battle. And the message is very clear. As God's people keep their eyes fixed on Him and as they seek Him in prayer, they will win the battle. If they should grow tired and weary and drop their hands and cease to pray, they will lose. They will be defeated. Is that not a very sobering lesson? Notice how two things come together that's fascinating. The sword in the battle and prayer. Those, those go together. It's not one or the other. It's the sword and prayer. And we have an exact parallel in the New Testament in the spiritual realm, which is fascinating. We find this in Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. And I'm going to read from the King James Version because of how it brings it together. But Paul writes, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is, somebody tell me, the Word of God. And then he says, Praying always with all prayer. And by the way, those are not two different thoughts. He's not saying, I'll take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and then I also want you to do something else that's disconnected from that. I want you to pray. No, that's one sentence, and it's telling us, this is how you wield the sword of the Spirit. You wield it by praying. So the Word of God goes forth, and God's people should be praying for the Word of God to go forth and to be effectual. Those come together, and that's what God uses. It's been said that when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. When we pray, when we lift up our arms to God, when we call upon Him, spiritual power goes forth and we experience success. We experience victories in the battles that we have. And of course, many unbelievers will chalk that up to coincidence. But as one English archbishop said, it's amazing how many coincidences happen when God's people pray. (laughs) Billy Graham once said, There are three things needed for a successful crusade. Prayer, prayer, and you guessed it, prayer. (laughs) Um, And Billy Graham really did believe in prayer to bring about success in a crusade. Um, He wrote in his autobiography, Many decades ago, just as our work was beginning to expand, one of the wealthiest men in America wanted to meet me. Well, Billy, the gentleman said, you should be able to put all your time into the type of work you're doing. Revival work and getting the word out like you're doing. You ought not to be spending time trying to raise money. Then he added, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm willing to underwrite your work so that you won't have to worry about finances. Would you like me to do that? (laughs) I can't accept that. I replied immediately. My work is spiritual work. We are getting about fifteen to 20,000 letters a week. Most of those letters will have a little money in them, maybe a dollar, maybe five dollars. But every one of those letters is saying, we're praying for you. If they know there's a rich man underwriting my work, they'll stop praying. And my work will take a nosedive. So I can't accept it. I think that's profound. Billy Graham understood my work 
is spiritual work, which means that it is absolutely essential that people pray for this work to go forth and to have power and to make a difference in the world. And because prayer is so vital to victory in the Christian life and ministry, I want us to consider four points this morning about prayer. And obviously there could be many more, but let's just consider four points. I want us to consider the preciousness of prayer, the persistence of prayer, the power of prayer, and the plan of prayer. I wasn't trying to come up with four Ps, but they came together, so maybe that will help you remember. The preciousness of prayer, the persistence of prayer, the power of prayer, and the plan of prayer. First of all, the preciousness of prayer. And specifically, what I mean here is that our prayers are precious to our loving, caring, heavenly Father. Now, before we talk about that, let's start with something very basic. What constitutes prayer? What, what exactly is a prayer? I think we have three descriptions of prayer in Psalm 5, in the first two verses. Notice what the psalmist says. Give ear to my words, O Lord. So, first of all, prayers are something we speak to God. It's basically just talking to God. We don't have to make it real complicated. Even the little kids can understand what is prayer. It's just talking to God about anything, everything. It's just talking, verbalizing that through words. So, the psalmist says, give ear to my words, O God. And then he says, consider my groaning. And you know what that is. Some of you did that this morning when you got out of bed. You, know, <laughs> you, you groan. You know, it's, it's not really words. It's just kind of expressions. Uh, you just kind of groan because you're in pain or you're not feeling well or you're tired or whatever. And then he goes on and he says, Give attention to the sound of my cry. So a cry could be a prayer as well. And perhaps crying includes words. Perhaps it doesn't include words. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes when we cry, we just cry. Sometimes when we cry, we also uh, speak words. But that's a type of praying as well. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, well how is groaning without words a, a prayer? Well, let's remember that we're, we have been adopted into God's family. We're His children. He's our loving Heavenly Father. So I think us fathers can understand this. If, if we're at home and all of a sudden we hear a whipper come from another room or we hear crying and it's one of our children and something has happened and maybe we don't know what has happened, is that not basically a prayer? Don't we respond? Don't we say, well, I, I hear my son crying. i, I got to go into the other room. Son, what, what's the matter? What's wrong? What, what can I do for you? Our Heavenly Father is like that. Actually, He's even better. <laughs> he, he responds even to our groanings because He cares about that. Cares about that. He, and He cares about us. And here's where the Holy Spirit also helps because the truth is sometimes we have no idea what to pray for. Matter of fact, I think I would submit to you that perhaps most of the time we don't really know what to pray for. But this is where the Holy Spirit helps us. And Paul writes in Romans 8, 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings 
too deep for words. Isn't that great? Holy Spirit basically says, you know what, you don't know what to pray for. Let, let me intercede on your behalf to the Father because I do know what to pray for. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God sends the Spirit and the Holy Spirit helps us and He intercedes on our behalf. Let me give you a couple more descriptions of, of prayer. And this is from Psalm 55.17. This is another Psalm of David. This is what he writes in 55.17. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. So a complaint can be a prayer. And let me say that some of you are uncomfortable with that. And I know because we talked about this in Sunday school last week, and I asked the question, do you think it's appropriate to complain to God? And some of the people said, nope, that is not appropriate. And some people said, yes, that is appropriate. What do you think? Is that appropriate to complain before God? Well, what is David doing here? <laughs> David right here says evening, morning, and noon. Basically all day. He says, all day I'm complaining and moaning before you and you hear my voice. And let me say plainly, it is appropriate. Complaining, by the way, is another one of those inescapable categories. You will all complain. Okay? Every single one of you, I can look at every single one of you, and you're a complainer. And I'm a complainer. It is not whether or not you will complain. The question is, who will you complain to? And God knows all things. Because God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows that in your heart you're really complaining. So you know what the best thing to do really is? Just bring that out before the Lord. Just be honest. Lord, you respectfully, okay, respectful complaining. Maybe that's a good way to describe it, okay? Say, Lord, you know that in my heart I'm, I'm really complaining. I'm not happy with this and that and the other thing. God, God knows it. So the best thing really is not just pretend like it's not there, but to just be honest about it before the Lord. Say, Lord, you really know that. I don't like this. And bring that complaint before the Lord. Bring it out into the open. And let me also say that that is essential to the Christian life. And that's the only way to have a healthy Christian life. You have to deal with those frustrations, those complaints that you have. And bring them before the Lord. Because if you don't bring them before the Lord, you know what you wives will do when your husband gets home? <laughs> You will bring them before Him. And, I, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. But I am saying He might not be able to help. And us men can do the same thing. We can come home from work and we can say, Honey, let me tell you about all the complaints. They've been piling up all day. And we can just you know, lay them out. You know? And they can be like a huge weight. And you know, by the time dinner comes, you're like suffocating under the, under the weight. And the whole atmosphere of the home is went... Bring them to God. I told the story in Sunday school, and I thought this was really good. There was a pastor one time, he and his wife were getting ready to leave on Sunday morning, and a woman said to him, Pastor, can I, can I talk to you before you leave? And the wife resigned herself to the fact that, well, this is probably going to take a while. 
Um, and it was just 30 seconds later, the husband said, okay, honey, let's go home. And, and the wife was kind of surprised, and she said, wow, that was really quick. What did you say? And he said, well, this woman said she wanted to tell me what she was going through. And I, and I said, have you brought that before the Lord? Have you told him what you're going through and what you're frustrated with? And she said, no, actually, I, I haven't. And he said, well, why don't you tell the Lord what you're going through, and, and maybe you won't need to tell me. And she said, okay, I'll give that a shot. <laughs> but that's, that's healthy to do. Bring, bring it before God. Because it's, it's there, and some of us will just leave it there, but some of us, we got to get that out. So if we don't bring it before the Lord, you know what we'll do? We'll bring it before our spouse, we'll bring it before our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters. You know, we'll get on the phone, hey, I got to tell you what I'm going through. You know, maybe Facebook or something. You know, I got to tell 20 people what I'm going through, and we'll just all over, complain, 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 all over. It's there. Let's just be honest. We all have, we're all complainers. Can we just be honest? We're not beyond this. Okay, we're not so spiritual. You know, I used to be a complainer, but no, now I'm above that. We're, we're all complainers. So let's be biblical in how we complain. Bring that before God. Moan before God. And He can interpret that for us. That's very, very appropriate. We don't have to feel bad about that. And you know what? That's, that's precious to God. Just like our children. When they're frustrated... And they even complain. I mean, sometimes we have to correct them, but, but we care about what they're going through. Their thoughts are precious to us. It's the same way with God. He doesn't say, boy, you are annoying me. Complain, complain, complain. Now, He might say it's wrong. He might say, let me help you with your perspective. But He's our loving, heavenly Father. And He will help us with this. And you know what He does with our prayers? And I, I had a devotional a while back, and, and some of you read this. Thank you. Some of you didn't. <laughs> so for those of you who didn't read it, um, it's Golden Bowls of Prayers. And I, and I get this from Revelation. And this is utterly fascinating. This, this is what we read. You can turn to it if you like. Otherwise, you can just listen. But this is what we read in Le- Revelation 5.8. John writes, And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures, and this, this is a picture of what's going on in heaven. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp. And yes, the illustration of harps being played in heaven is, is biblical. Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So isn't that interesting? You have the 24 elders. They have these golden incense. And they're full of the prayers of God's people. So the picture must be something like this. God's people pray. And of course, God doesn't need to do this, obviously. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God is omnipresent. He is, he is everywhere. He doesn't really need the help of the angels to hear our prayers. You know, it's not like he has to send them. Okay, you tell me what that person was praying for way over there because I couldn't hear them. You know, obviously God doesn't need that, but I think what he's doing is giving us a visible, tangible picture of how important our prayers are to him. So basically he says to the angels, now whenever my people pray, I want you to collect those prayers and I want you to put them in these golden censers. Not just cheap pottery, but golden censers, precious pottery, and then I want you to present that to me. I don't want those 
prayers to be lost because they are very important to me. And the angels do that. And they present them to God. They are, they are not lost. So we have a little picture of God saying, this, this is how precious my prayers are to you. Don't, don't think that when you pray that your prayers just kind of go somewhere or are lost. They are not lost. They are collected. They are brought to me. I hear and I respond. I answer your prayers because they're precious to me. I'm not an absentee father. I'm not too busy doing other things around the world. You know, there's a war in the Middle East over here and I'm a little busy. God is not like that. So we have the preciousness of prayer that's very important. Um, Then we have the persistence of prayer. And we see that at least two ways in Psalm 5. Uh, First of all, we see it through the imperatives. Notice how David begins. Give ear to my words, O Lord. And then verse 2, he says, Give attention to the sound of my cry. And kids, imperative might sound like a big word, but basically an imperative is a command. So this is kind of bold and audacious, isn't it? David is commanding God, listen to me. I'm praying, Lord. Give ear to my words. Pay attention to my cry, God. He's being persistent. He's being bold. And also notice his persistence. He's watching. Verse 3. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning... And I like the translation at the bottom better. In the morning, I lay my request before you and watch. Literally, it's it's I look up. It's my lifting up my eyes to heaven. David's saying, I'm praying. I'm laying my request before you. And I'm looking to you. Now I'm going to wait. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait. And I think implied here. And I'm going to wait and wait and wait until you answer my prayer. And unfortunately, some of us give up. We pray and we say, ah, didn't work. We need to be persistent in prayer. One time I said to a good friend of mine who was struggling with something, and I, and I said, have you prayed about it? And he said, yeah, I, I prayed about it. And I said, no, no, have, have you really prayed about it? Have you brought it before God and, and brought it before God again and said, God, this is really bothering me and I need an answer to this and, and I'm going to look to you to bring an answer. I said, have you really prayed that way? And he said, well, and you... When you put it like that, I guess I haven't really prayed. And I think all of us in in this room could admit there have been times when we we prayed, but we haven't really persisted in in prayer. We we kind of threw a prayer out there and we gave up. We need to continue on in prayer. There's a great example from Paul in this in, in 2 Corinthians 12. We have his famous thorn in the flesh. And we read in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Don't ask me what that is exactly. I don't, I don't know. We could guess. Um, but here's the point. And then in verse 8 he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. That's significant. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Now, we're not told how long he pleaded, perhaps for hours. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed for at least an hour. 
Because he came back and when the disciples were sleeping, he rebuked them in Mark's account. And he says, could you not watch with me one hour? But then Jesus went back and he prayed again. Perhaps he prayed for three hours. Perhaps he prayed for an hour and then he prayed again for an hour and then he prayed again for another hour, pleading with the Father because of what he was enduring. Uh, how long Paul prayed, I don't know, but perhaps he prayed for three hours, pleading with God, take this away, I can't take it. Finally, he got an answer. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See the transition that took place? Paul is going through tremendous ordeal, whatever this thorn in the flesh was. And he pleads with the Lord. The Lord says, I'm not going to take it away, but I will give you grace. And when he receives the grace, Paul says, thank you. I can now rejoice in this and I can now go on. But notice how he didn't give up. He comes until God works. And some, some of us just give up too quickly. You may have to pray again and again and again. And again, and again, and again. And maybe part of it is God just wants you to draw near to Him. But we need to be persistent and not give up. So we have the preciousness of prayer, the persistence of prayer, and the power of prayer. And I guess I would say to you that this is assumed in this psalm. The context of this psalm is very interesting. We don't know the exact Situation. Uh, some commentators think that perhaps um, this psalm took place when his son Absalom was conspiring against him. Uh, one of the things we do know for sure is that David has some enemies coming against him. Bloodthirsty and deceitful enemies, according to verse 6. And then in 9 he says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But this is what's fascinating. David has wicked men, enemies, coming against him. And he says, how am I going to handle this? And he says, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I've got to get my armies together. Maybe he did that later. But he said, I'm going to pray. And why does he pray? Because prayer is powerful. Because when we call out to God, He intervenes on our behalf. Because He answers. Therefore, prayer shouldn't be the last resort. It should be the first resource. Sometimes we exhaust every other means. We go through a difficulty and sometimes we say, you know what? Nothing's working. Maybe I should try praying. You know, sometimes we say to people, you know, I can't do anything for you except pray. That's the best thing you can do for people. Pray for them. It's, it's powerful. We forget it. Let me turn your attention back to Revelation and these golden bowls full of incense. The same image comes up again in Revelation 8. <clears throat> this is what we read in Revelation 8.3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So here they're 
They're so precious. They're in these golden censers and they're placed on the golden throne before God's very presence. They're offerings to God. And then he goes on, he says in verse 4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints. And can you picture this? Again, God wants us to give us a tangible picture. So the incense is rising with the prayers. It's as though they're, they're mingled together. They're rising together before God from the hand of the angel. What's the response? Look at verse 5. Then the angel took the censer. And I, and I like this. It had prayers in it. Prayers are before God. They rise before God. Then he takes the censer and we're told, and filled it with fire from the altar and he threw it on the earth. Isn't that great? And threw it on the earth. And then what happened? And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What happened? Earth shook because of God's people's prayers rising to Him and God answering them. So we pray. They're precious to God. We we shouldn't give up. And then they come to God and He says, okay, I'm going to respond to those prayers. And earth is shaken because of the prayers of God's people. Our prayers are powerful. And let me assert that prayer is so powerful, you might be experiencing a battle and nothing else will work except prayer. Let me say that again. You might be facing something even right now. And God is saying there is only one power in the universe that's going to give you victory. Prayer. Nothing else will work. Only prayer. And you say, where do you get that from? Mark 9.29, which may be my all-time favorite verse on prayer. Let me give you the context. There was a man who had a son who was possessed by an unclean spirit. This man brought his son to the disciples, asked them to cast out the spirit. Disciples couldn't do it. They had done it in the past. They came to the Lord before and said, Lord, even the, the demons submit to us in your name. And they were all excited. But this time they utterly failed. And then the man brings his son to Jesus. Jesus casts out the demon and he's set free. But then we're told privately, the disciples came before Jesus and they said, why couldn't we cast it out? And this is what Jesus said. This kind comes out only by prayer. See what he's saying? This kind. Okay, there's different ranks in the demonic realm. Different ranks of demons. This kind, way up here, this high kind, this strong kind up here, when you face this kind, this kind cannot be driven out by anything except prayer. Now, I don't know what the disciples did, but I do know one they didn't pray. And Jesus said, this kind, when, when you're up against this kind, Maybe other kinds, counseling will work. Maybe other, other kinds, this will work. But when you're facing this kind, only one thing will work. Prayer. Prayer. So until you pray, you will not have victory. Until you pray, you will not drive this kind out. Which also tells us that the greatest power we possess is Christ, as Christians is prayer. And we, we have to have that before us. 
there's anything I can ha- tell you to have before you as you go into the new year, let have this before you. You're going to come up against battles and maybe God is going to say to you, you're not going to be delivered. You're not going to have victory. You're not going to have success until you pray. It's your only hope. Nothing else will work. Which is why we should begin with prayer instead of ending with prayer. And then just a final point, practically, we need a plan to prayer, to pray. You know the old saying, you know, we don't plan to fail, we just fail to plan. That's true in many areas, and it's also true in the area of prayer. Um, You will not just drift into spiritual discipline. You will not just drift into a life of disciplined prayer. Will will not happen. Will not happen. You will have to be intentional. You will have to be purposeful. You will have to think through it. You need to have some kind of plan. David had a plan. What did he say? Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I present my request before that was David's plan. Very simple, but he had a plan. He said, this is my plan. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to go before the Lord and he's going to hear my prayer. (laughs) Now, that could mean one of two things and maybe it means both things. It it means, first of all, God's going to hear me because I'm going to pray. But it also could mean that God is waiting for us. God will hear us. He's waiting. Go ahead. I'm here. Pour out your heart to me. But David had a plan for him. It was in the morning. Maybe you say, I'm not a morning person. (laughs) Maybe you're an evening person. Honestly, I think what I would say is give God the best part of your day for that intentional praying. Um, I think it's very important. If you're not a morning person, at least begin with a brief prayer. But I I would say that I I think, generally speaking, and again, everybody's different. Everybody's different schedules. But generally speaking, I think it's very important to begin your day coming before God in prayer. And then let me also say that as you go throughout your day, pay attention to impulses to pray. In, in other words, just when you when you just sense that you could be wherever, you could be driving in your car, your truck, sitting at home doing the dishes, if you just sense, you know, I, I feel like I should pray for my wife right now. I feel like I should pray for my husband. I feel like I should pray for my, my daughter who's in college. I feel like I should pray for the pastor. I feel like I should pray for this sister in the church. But whenever you just you just sense I, I should pray, let me say it. Always pay attention. Always pay attention. I can promise you this. It is not the devil whispering in your ear. You know what? You should pray right now. <laughs> I promise you. The devil is not leading you to pray. Pay attention to that impulse. If you're in the car and you have the radio on, shut it off. Shut it off and say, okay, I'm going to pray. I don't want, I don't want to be distracted. Pay attention to that. One pastor said one time that he had an impulse to pray while he was working on a message or something, but, but he, had, he had five awesome thoughts that came to him. And he said, I've I got to get these thoughts down really quick before I... Before I pray, and he said, I wrote down the thoughts really quick because I didn't want to lose them. And I, I know what he means. You're right, right now, real quick, I don't want to lose them. And they said, I got the five thoughts down 
but I lost the impulse to pray. He said that was a mistake. I should have yielded to the impulse to pray. And then I would say, ask God to bring those ideas back. I do that all the time. Lord, what was that idea I had? Help me to remember that. <laughs> and he does answer that. Um, but pay attention to that. And just real practically to help you with your prayer life, um, <clears throat> let me read from uh, George Mueller and a discovery he made that helped him with prayer. Is there any water there? <clears throat> this is my voice. <clears throat> you know, I wasn't out last night screaming and yelling. Or <laughs> Happy New Year, though. I was sleeping. <laughs> this is what uh, George Mueller wrote. He said, the discovery is this. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distressed. I might in other ways seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord, and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. Before this time, my practice had been, at least for ten years previously, as a habitual thing, to give myself to prayer. This is important as well. After having dressed in the morning. Now I saw the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus, whilst meditating, my heart might be brought into communion with God. First thing I did, after having asked in a few, for a few words the Lord's blessing on His precious word, was to give myself to meditation, searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it. Not for the sake of the public ministry of the word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found to be almost invariably this. After having a very, or excuse me, a very few minutes, my soul has been led to confession, or to thanksgiving, or to intercession, or to supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned almost immediately more or less into prayer. And I think that is helpful. Um, my best prayer time, and I'll just use myself as an example, I'm not the example, but just an example that might help. Um, I, I agree with uh, Mueller, and I found that to be so helpful, that what happens is, as I read the Bible, something will hit me. And then I turn that into prayer. And my best prayer time is really because it's co-mingled with, with Bible reading. And I also would encourage you, if you're reading the Bible, and I, I use the one-year Bible, but if you're reading the Bible and you've read two verses 
and something has hit you, you say, wow, that's really good. Stop right there. Don't say I got to get through. Stop right there. Um, and what I, what I usually have to do, and probably because I'm an antsy person, but what I have to, I have to get up and I have to pace. So I, I, I get up if I'm sitting and I, and I pace and I, and I turn it into prayer because it's not, I can't sit for too long and kneel and I can do that for about two minutes and then I got to get up. But again, every, everybody's different, but I find, okay, I'm going to turn that into prayer. And if you say, but if I do that, I might run out of time and I might have to go to work. Go to work. Two verses where God speaks to you is better than two chapters that you're just getting through. The goal is not to get through a passage. The goal is not to say, well, this is how much I read today. The goal is to meet with God. And if God is speaking to you through the Word, and that's, that's what you want. That's my first thing before I open the Bible. Lord, speak to me. But if He speaks to you, if there's something of encouragement or challenge or rebuke, Stop right there and, and turn it into prayer. And I, I find personally, those are my best times in prayer. Right there. Those are my most intimate times, my, my best times in, in prayer. When God speaks to me through his word and I, and I respond to that. So maybe some of those little helps for a plan. Obviously, more could be said, but hopefully that can be of help to you. In closing, uh, let me also be honest and say, um, this is not easy. Um, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, you know what? I, first day of the year, what, what a good opportunity to recommit myself to prayer. Let me just tell you right up front, it will not be easy. Let me state it stronger. It will be hard. <laughs> Let me state it even stronger. It will be the hardest thing you try to do this year. And, and I mean that because Satan will do everything he can to keep you from praying. Martin Luther said the devil will keep you from praying by doing anything, even if it's to get up from off your knees to close the blind. He will do anything he can to distract you, to keep you from prayer because it is so powerful. Which means it will be tremendously difficult to be disciplined in prayer. It will not be easy. You might as well know that right up front. It is going to be hard. It is going to be agonizing. I mean, just think about it. At, at one level, we say, well, how hard can it be to pray? How hard can it be to talk? Some of you talk all the time. I, I see you after the service. You know, you know, 20 minutes, you know, talk, 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 talk. You're, in some ways, we think, well, how hard can it be just to talk to God? Tremendously hard. Tremendously hard. The hardest thing in the world to do. But we need to work at it because it's absolutely crucial. Basically, as we look at our prayer lives, we're looking at a mirror of our Christian life. J.I. Packer said, I believe that prayer is the measure of the man spiritually in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. Basically, your prayer life is probably the best mirror of your spiritual life. It's absolutely crucial that we be people of prayer and that we work at it. Let's close in prayer. Father, 
Thank you for the incredible privilege of prayer. Even right now, we can call you Father and know that you are listening. To know that our prayers are precious to you. We're not, we're not bothering you. We're not troubling you. You're not irritated by us. You love us because you're a perfect, loving, heavenly Father. Thank you for that. Father, forgive us for our prayerlessness. It is so true, as James said, that we have not because we ask not. Forgive us for not persisting. Forgive us for giving up so easily. We're just like the disciples. Jesus could say to us the same thing. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us as we pray. Thank you for this tremendous power that we have. May we avail ourselves to it. And Father, help us to come up with simple, simple plans to be men and women of prayer, knowing that it won't happen by accident. Help us to work at this. We need your help. It will not be easy. Help us with this. Because it is so important. May we, may we not give up. May we persevere. And thank you for your forgiveness. Maybe some of us need to be reminded, you're a forgiving God. Help us to recommit ourselves to this. I don't want anybody to leave here feeling guilty about their prayer lives. May we be encouraged and challenged. This, this is a new year. And in one sense, it's just another day, but in another sense, it's like we have a new year before us and a new opportunity to make resolutions and to come before you. So help us. We freely admit that we can't do this on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.